0: this presentation is from design research 2021 day three hello good morning welcome thank you and i will i will throw to you when you are ready good morning again and uh,
1: i think that provides uh, i suppose a very short snapshot into some of the uh, opportunities i've had over the past uh, career both uh, in business uh, in sports and some of the external opportunities i've had to uh, enjoy, uh, be from a very early age right through to uh, some more extreme things in climbing Everest as well as uh, some more of the reality options of uh, dancing with the stars and other opportunities. Uh, for me as an athlete, obviously now we can celebrate what's uh, currently happening which is the uh, Paralympic Games uh, which are currently on for the next uh, two weeks. Myself as an athlete, uh, I had aspirations of being in Tokyo 2021 uh, purely because of uh, COVID uh, and the opportunity to get to the last three qualifying events uh, preventing me from having a chance to compete at Tokyo but onwards it goes to the uh, Commonwealth Games and that's where I think it leads to the uh, point of my presentation today which is uh, change is constant um, but growth is optional and it's looking at, obviously at the changes that are constant in our lives uh, and how we can take upon the growth uh, on a range of different opportunities i think i learned that at a very early age uh, from my life that's uh, both in rural and regional queensland uh, and having to i suppose work with the as we call the the facts of life, the vital things that actually can go astray. and as a very young kid i thought the facts of life that you were to trip up a step or run into a half open door or maybe perhaps run into a post. i thought that came with the traits being a very young child and it wasn't until that very first day of primary school where I realised things were somewhat very different. The teacher had a very innovative thought about burning out some of that nervous energy of students and staff and took us down to the Oval and there were asked to do two laps to the Oval to burn out some of that nervous energy of uh, students being in grade prep. Afterwards and the laughing and giggling of uh, students around the Oval allowed me to obviously make sure and knew where they were around the oval but on the very first lap I personally met every single goal post on the oval and it showed me that I was very different to the students and the staff and I think from there the changes had to kick in very quickly to be able to grow as a student not only within the classroom but also out there on the sporting arena as well and it came with some I suppose quite uh, challenging changes in the sense of how I was supposed to not only work with the students, but also develop that teamwork around me, the teamwork within the classroom, uh, the teamwork that occurred out there on the playground, whether it be during recess or lunchtime, and then in playing different forms of sport. And that, for me, was, uh, I suppose, a great transition into how I learned to uh, pursue my career through high school, through university, and through my various objectives in lives. I think for me, though, fundamentally, it was about that teamwork, the teamwork that I built. Uh, in playing sport, whether it be, uh, for example, in cycling by following the sound of my brother's bike in front of me, or developing a number of different gardeners which I have uh, throughout my entire career. However, as I said earlier, it comes with its uh, facts of life where things can and will go astray, where despite your best efforts, uh, things will actually happen, and more often than not, obviously, for a person who is totally blind. And those, Facts of life can be simply as a person who is a guide runner calling up saying the injured run well and thus leaving you somewhat stranded in respect to a training session. Or I suppose the quite uh, ironic thing about my guide runners is that in all the years that uh, I've been uh, guided by my fellow teammates is that I never had a torn calf muscle. I've never had a torn hamstring. All my injuries, yes, have been because of my guide runners and they had run me into uh, cars. Uh, trees, posts, poles, the list goes on. And that comes with the traits of being a target blind, uh, distance runner. Throughout my life, throughout primary school and high school was the challenges were to break down those very perceptions. And as I think, as we talk about, and as Stephen referred to before in design, I think that brings into perspective the, I suppose, philosophy of changes, constant growth is optional, where we, how and how we design, I suppose, those changes that will meet our needs for the future. Uh, for me, in high school at a very early age, obviously it's about designing that team around me making sure that that support was there both uh, internally with the staff and the students, but also externally in some of the recreational activities I, I tended to achieve or pursue. The school that you've been in high school uh, over the years uh, marked out their lanes and the oval with lime, and the lime would eat away the grass and the dirt, causing large ruts between each of the lanes. And so much so that it was very easy to feel your way up around the oval. I trained and trained and trained upon the oval, so it was very easy. And once I became used to the very large ruts, I knew exactly what it was on the oval. So at times I was able to run entire lap entirely on my own and off I went. I came to my uh, school with Inter School Athletes carnival one year. I've been training for the eight and four. And uh, I knew that obviously in a 400 it's particularly quick, and it's very important to establish a very early lead. I know that my uh, school was 400, representing my particular sports house. Um, I was pretty keen to establish a very early lead. That way, I could uh, must be, be uh, clear of my other fellow runners in the actual uh, school. Gun went, and went pretty solid. Go ran to the 100 minute mark. Things were looking quite good. I could hear the puffing and panning of students behind me got around to the 200-minute mark, same sort of thing, that sort of few, three or four meters behind me. Uh, this is when I was new and it was really important, so I dug as deep as I could until I heard the yells and the screams of the crowd, went through the finishing tunnel and across the line and completed the fastest 400 Yipoon High School had ever, ever recorded. And I suppose quite arrogantly, you can say that time will never, ever be broken. And reason being is because of the 205 mark, I took a left-hand turn and I cut right across the middle of the oval through the trophy tents and across the line and completed 400 metres in approximately 42 seconds. It showed the students and staff that a person was willing to make an attempt, despite obviously the challenges, uh, was also prepared to obviously be able to have a laugh at their own particular disability. Now, something it's very important to recognize that every single person in the world does have a disability, whether it be being totally blind, not so good at hearing, not so good at spelling, not so good at math, not so good at cooking. Every single person has a particular disability. And how we work with that particular disability depends on our own personal successes and how we obviously adapt and work with those changes to get around that particular disability. At times though, the most challenging moments were outside the school grounds, where obviously the unexpected natures, of course, will take will happen, where the, I suppose, untold terrain, where you're not expecting those things that will arise. We often go down to Yipoon, to the beach there, and have a cool, refreshing swim on those hot summer's days and school holidays. The tidal at Yipoon is quite substantial. At times, the water's lapping at the base of the pier at times overflowing the top. So as uh, I was a young kid, I would sit on the edge of the pier trying to feel the water with my feet below the pier, thus knowing how far or how high the water was, and very slowly slide in. All the mates had just dumped into the water, and here I was sitting on the edge of the pier, very slowly sliding in. And just as gravity takes hold, and you know, I sitting on the edge of the pier, my board shorts got stuck on a nail. I know exactly for a few seconds how Superman feels. Until the weight of my body was too much for the shorts, the shorts ripped and I went into the water. There are three distinctive problems now here for a person who to is totally blind, not knowing who's seen you do this most embarrassing thing, B being now totally naked, how to find a towel on the beach, and seeing him walking in cold water where to put the hands. So, despite our best attempts, things can and will go astray. As I said, they are the facts of life where things will happen and how we cope with those particular facts of life is really critically important because obviously they're going to be thrown at us every single day of our life. It's very similar, I suppose, to what we call their own window of attitude, which is critically important as as a child first begins to learn how to walk and they have a fall and they get up and have another walk and they fall. They don't sort of point at the carpet and blame the lousy terrain. And don't point at mum and dad and blame mum and dad for lousy instructions. They continue on until they eventually learn how to walk and then learn how to run. However, as they grow up through their own particular window of attitude, comes with their trials and tribulations, as I said, the facts of life, which will throw some mud and grime at their own particular window of attitude. The disappointments, the heartbreaks, the challenges they face, maybe daily, monthly, or yearly. And that would throw the grime and mud at our own window of attitude. And sadly, I've seen a lot of people who have collected this mud and grime over their own personal window of attitude and they have died at, say, the age of 45, but been buried at 85 because the whole window of attitude is so choked up. They've lost sight of what is the actual big picture. And that's where it's really important, whether it be on a daily or even perhaps alley. I suppose, perspective to make sure we have a clear window of attitude in what we're trying to achieve, because those situations will arise. And as a person who is totally blind, obviously, those challenges, would it be outside of my own control, will actually happen, and making sure that we have that clear, constant ability to see the growth we're looking to, I suppose, pursue, whether it be at school, our own particular businesses, our own particular personal goals as well. I graduated uh, through high school and began working in central Queensland. For me, the challenges were to design a perceptional challenge amongst the business community and in amongst the community of regional Queensland, to break down those perceptions they had about a person who was totally blind. We borrowed a sports Mercedes convertible. We got the support from the local senior sergeants at the Rockhampton Police Station. We had my first guide dog, Joey and we place him in the passenger seats of the sports Mercedes convertible, herself in the driver's seat. On April the 1st, on the front page of the Rockhampton Morning Bulletin, a few decades ago, the headline read, Blindness, no blinker on licence, Jared Gossens and guide dog Joey received driver's licence, Joey does two barks for left, a bark for right and a yacht for stop. Sadly about 65 percent of people in central Queensland who read that story on April the 1st believed it and we had phone calls all day to the police station, to the newspaper, asking how a dog does reverse single parking, whole list of questions went on. Purely it was a great laugh, it was a great chance to break down those perceptions they had about a person who was obviously totally blind. In leaving high school as well as working in business I had some Really large goals as a distance runner. I would challenge myself whilst living in Yapoon and not having guide runners access at the time, being in somewhat a remote area. I would keep one foot on the road, one foot in the gravel, and run from my house to Inu Park, which is about eight kilometers there and back. I would hear the swamp as we got towards the frogs that were on the side. I'd be able to turn around and come straight back to my particular house. So I was actually using those, I suppose, other centuries to. I suppose, have they growth as an individual. But my goal was to be the first person back in the days of the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield Run, the days of Yannis Gouros and Cliff Run, to be the first person who was disabled and perhaps the chance to win the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield Run. However, that came with both mental and physical preparation. So as a young uh, 17-18 year old, I plucked up the courage and uh, met with the uh, team at Inaugural Barracks, one of the first signal regiments, embarked upon obviously the goals I was looking to achieve. They took it on as a particular exercise and I embarked upon my first ever major ultra marathon by running from Port Douglas to the Gold Coast. I went on to complete that run for further time. So basically from North Queensland, Port Douglas dash Cairns to Gold Coast five times. In that 2,000 uh, kilometre journey, We had a team of, as I said, 35 soldiers, and many of them were my guide runners, were physios, were camp crew, the entire, I suppose, set up for that journey down the Queensland coastline. Coming across a whole range of various perceptions, attitudes, and challenges we had to face, not only as a team, but also in amongst the various regional communities up and down the Eastern Seaboard. There were some quite remarkable perceptions we had to, I suppose, change over that time running into a place called Clearview, which is between Mackay and Rockhampton, a very small, I suppose, caravan park-resort. I would somewhat summarize it as a resort for the blind because there's nothing at all to see there. We doubled their community as we ran into Clearview. The owner of the Clearview Caravan Park pulled me into his store on this particular first occasion, said Mr Gossens, it's great to have you here great effort running from Cairns or Fort Douglas to the Gold Coast. He said, just like to give you a few souvenirs. He sat me down in his little store there, and for the entire hour he gave me 60 postcards. That was fine. I was able to obviously give them out to the fellow soldiers in the crew, but sadly for the entire hour he ran my finger across every single postcard because he assumed that my fingers were so sensitive that I could feel the pictures on the card. And that's his perception of what, obviously, prior was all about for a person who was totally blind. As said, I completed that run five times, 2,000-kilometre journey. I was ready both mentally and physically to compete, potentially win the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield run. I entered, I had my team, I had the equipment, I was ready to go. That year, they cancelled the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield run. Not only did they cancel it, it was never to be held again. For me, though, it was very easy and I could have quite easily considered hanging out the boots thinking, well, five times from Cancer Brisbane is, I suppose, a great achievement and hung the boots and retired, I suppose, very comfortably in a sense of my uh, own personal goals perspective. But for me, it's about recognising that success is a journey, never ever a destination. It's about pursuing that next goal, that next particular opportunity. I've turned my hand to Paralympic Games, went on to represent Australia. So, so far, three Paralympic Games in distance running, five, 10, marathon, as well as the 1500 in 2008. For me though, that team of guide runners around me was critically important. As we have our own teams, where it be our own sporting teams, or our teams in business, those I suppose, individuals, our staff members, all play a very different role, come to the role with very different qualities, and perform different actions. Some of my governors are there for the recovery runs, some are there for speed work, some are there for hill reps, and some are there purely for competition. They all have their individual goals as a representative of my particular team. Whilst obviously the person running the actual competition, as in the actual race, perhaps may get the accolades, those individuals who play in the background, as in the Hill Reps the recovery runs, are just as important. And how I communicate and how we work with them all is on a very much individualistic style, because they all have their own various ingredients in how they actually work with it. When I get running with an individual, whether it be on the road, on the track, we use a short piece of shoelace uh, left over. And I'm in my hand, I'm not sure how well I can see them now, but I have a number of different pieces of guide rope, all at very different lengths, from the very short through to the very long. Reason why I have those different lengths of rope is because not only obviously from a guiding perspective, it's very important, but how we actually communicate. So in a marathon, obviously the longer the distance, as in the longer the project, the longer the goal we're looking to achieve, communication can be done over a stage process. It can be done on a very long, Way, and obviously, we can actually have not so frequent senses of communication because it's a long project. Obviously, there's times, there's, there's slow times in the sense of where things may be constructed. If could be ordering products, it could be the actual putting together project, which may take weeks or months. In our actual, project goes for years, as in the marathon of the 42.2. Where it comes down to, obviously, a very short piece of shoelace where almost our hands are back to back. That's obviously you no know, 400 or 200. The reason why it's critically to be short is because the communication has to be quick, has to be consistent, and has to be rapid. There's always that communication that's going between myself and my government. as it's the same with any project we provide. It has to be obviously the, the shorter the projects, the more critical the projects, and obviously the more risk that goes into it, as in uh, a a hundred metre is more risky because any, I suppose, misdirection, any false step, can mean that half a second could lose an actual race. So that's why the communication must be very quick and very reliable because it's so close at hand. But for me, obviously with my guide runners, it comes down to our own staff as well and how those ingredients can play in what we're trying to pursue. i went on to form the Australian Paralympic Committee back in 1993. And for me, it was about starting that project from the back bedroom at home with a laptop computer. If you had said to me as a young kid, I would begin the Paralympic Committee in that way, I would have loved, had no idea obviously the project, but it came down to the passion, the goal and the actual opportunity. Because through the change and making that change happen, the growth came with obviously setting up Paralympic Committee's right around Australia and supporting our team. We took our team of athletes in 1996 Atlanta Paralympic Games. That team, despite our size, placed second on the medal tally. Natural fact, we are picked to the post on the very last day, simply because of the number of relay teams, which we didn't have. From there, obviously, we've gone on to Sydney 2000. obviously, Athens 8, and onwards, we go to the 2021, as we've gone now. But in that whole realm of sport that comes with it, obviously, is the 18 different sports, and managing those 18 different sports expectations, their roles, and the changes in not only design of the actual equipment that goes with, as in, for example, the wheelchairs, the leg processes, the arm processes. There's always going to be that change in how you actually work with the athlete, the funding levels and the funds and resources that are required to support those individual athletes as well as those teams as well. For me, though, in that journey was about recognising that I suppose the ingredients are very important. I began, as I said, the Parliamentary Committee and worked with them for 10 years, both as the Executive Officer as well as an athlete. But outside those goals, I had a chance to be invited to climb upon Everest both in 2003 and 2005, starting in 2005. That was pulling together a very different team. And those team members are all uniquely different in their own aspirations and why they're looking to climb upon Everest. What I didn't appreciate is that when climbing Everest, obviously, for me, it wasn't about my team. It was about the facts of life that go with it. It wasn't the altitude. It wasn't the minus 20 degrees. It wasn't the trust in my equipment. It was the more simplistic things that came with, for example, going to the tour. Digging that little hole and helping like how we aim is very good. My most valuable piece of equipment on Everest cost me $5. It wasn't my down jacket. It was my crampons. It wasn't the, I suppose, the, the actual suit itself. The $5 was spent on a yacht belt, and that yacht bell was tied to one of my fellow climbers' backpacks, enabled to save their voice. It gave me consistent, reliable communication through the yacht bell, saved me obviously the chance of asking where they were, and I've always been up to the summits of Everest. I had the pleasure of having dinner with Sir Edmund Hillary in 2003. While people don't recognise that when Hillary climbed Everest back in 1953, his team wasn't 15 people. In actual fact, his team wasn't 100 people. His entire team that helped him summit Everest in 1953 totaled 2,000 people. It took 2,000 people to get to the top of Everest. And it's the same in our pursuits, of so obviously inclusion in design and in change. It isn't about one individual, it takes an entire team and whilst we may celebrate those two people who celebrated in 1953 we must also recognize those teamworks or teams that are behind us in our own individual efforts and how we recognize them also is very important i carry with me everywhere i go a piece of everest i carry a piece of everest with me everywhere i go because it is a constant reminder not just about the facts of life but in every mountain we climb there's going to be those Travasses, those little hiccups, those falls that come across our own particular journey, those ones that are often outside our own particular control. But making sure, as I said earlier, is making sure we have that wind of attitude pretty clear and what we're looking to achieve. I had a mate who was lecturing in sports who moved to the United States and there he bought himself a mountain bike, joined a local club. Along the long weekends, he went out for the first time with the club. Uh, After the first few hours, they had uh, quite a few falls going up and down the mountain. They stopped for a short break and one more experienced mountain bikers came up to Tom and said, Tom, how are you finding it? Tom said, obviously it's uh, it's a bit tough but perhaps by the end of the long weekend I'll get a hand of it. The more experienced mountain bikers said to Tom, well listen, when you're going up and down some of those slopes, what are you looking at? And Tom said, obviously I'm looking at the rocks and the trees. And the more experienced Mount said well that's your biggest mistake and Tom said what do you mean and the more experienced Mount said we should be looking at the gaps in between the rocks and the trees and often we tend to look at the actual obstacles rather than the actual opportunities. I learned that from a very early age when I built my first house and Funny enough, the Korean Mao came in and interviewed me because in my kitchen dash lounge room, I put a skylight when I built the house. The Korean Mao were, I suppose, quite amused that a person who was totally blind would be putting a skylight in his own house. I remarked to the journalist that I wasn't putting a skylight in the house for myself, I was putting in the house for the next person who buys the house, looking forward, looking at those different designs, how best would obviously be more pertinent towards the person who has started actually buying the house. And that's what I've tried to do in designing all my particular projects, is looking forward, not only the teams that pull together, but also their particular projects, because I need to obviously complement what may work now, as well as working in the future as well. If you ask me about obviously change and growth, for me, it was about recognizing one of my biggest ever regrets as a young kid. At the age of 18-19, when I moved to uh, Brisbane to begin studies at the University of Queensland. And I've recognised that i have been in rural and regional Queensland. And from there, obviously the challenges that came with not having footpaths and going through abortion, also the other things of ticks and heartworm and type N snakes, a whole range of challenges, not only for that, but also having a guide dog as well. I thought if I went to events, it's gonna be pretty expensive for a young kid who obviously just a first time job and studying university. I thought how good would it be to have some sort of insurance? I approached the, as I suppose research perspective, I approached the big organisations, the NRMAs, the FAIs, all the various large insurance institutions. getting their thoughts and the opportunities obviously taking up on pet insurance as a particular project. The response from all of them was, it's too boutique, it won't work, crazy idea, young kid, go away, it's not gonna happen. What's one of the biggest selling insurance these days is pet insurance. How often do I pick myself every day? And I learned that's lesson at a very early age is to pursue our dreams until the very end. Not sort of taking on the negative beliefs of other individuals around us, by taking on our own individual beliefs and passions and particular opportunities, as I said, I had a chance to climb Everest in 2005. I had a chance to fly a plane around Queensland three times. Again, it us the beliefs of people around me, but through the co-pilot's information and support, we successfully did that over three years. In 2009, I was invited to compete on Dancing with the Stars a very unique challenge for a person who's totally blind. Never seen dance and not knowing, obviously, how it's arranged. And perhaps the biggest challenge was that being unaware and never watching the show was that a live band. You can go and uh, rehearse in the studio where you play on a speaker, music on a speaker, but when you get to the live show and it's a live band, it takes away your hearing as well. We had to work with a whole range of, I suppose, different ways of me uh, working through those processes and not only not have been totally blind, but also not having any chance of actually hearing where your dance partner was. We made it to the final on Dancing Through the Stars, not by obviously our expertise or style of dancing, but the growth we had through the series. The way that we put our story and the effort into the actual each dance we pursued through Dancing with the Stars. And for me, that journey taught me a lot about myself in a sense of the changes, the changes of how we design ourselves and how we work in with other, I suppose, ranges of art. We never realise the facials or the way you actually hold your hand, the way you particularly do stepping, dancing stars. that makes a massive difference. And we learn, obviously, about various lifts and how the timings that work within the actual lifts to compete on the actual series. As Stephen said, I am a chocolatier, I have been a chocolatier for over a decade. It wasn't uh, something as a young kid that I would actually go now, I'm going to be a chocolatier at the age of say 35. It was purely about the actual opportunity. Over the years representing Australia internationally came to learn about chocolate, not being able to buy a memento or uh, say a t-shirt or a gift overseas for family and friends back here. Chocolate was always an easy-go-to thing overseas, great way to get through customs on you go. Opportunity arose, and thus we went into making and designing chocolate. The fascinating thing about chocolate comes into our own realms, of our own business goals, as well as how we design the people around us. Every piece of individual chocolate has its own tasting notes, as do our staff, as do our customer, as do our stakeholders. They all have their various ingredients. How I work with that piece of chocolate is critically important. For example, a piece of chocolate from the Ivory Coast is very different from Madagascar, as it is from Java, Venezuela. They all have their own various ingredients from the soils they're actually grown in. As do grapes, as do coffee, as do tobacco. Whole range of various fruits and vegetables will have their own tasting, notes nice purely because of the soils they've grown up in. And I utilize those tasting notes to accentuate, I suppose, the flavors within the actual chocolates. And we need to, I suppose, explore those opportunities and those ingredients in our own staff, in our particular projects, our customers, and our stakeholders, and how we can make really, I suppose, expand upon the strengths of what we're trying to work with. What are the skill sets? What are the ingredients that make up our own particular and Not just the degree or qualification or certificate that actually. Walked into the organisation with what are their passions? What are the ingredients that make up that individual? What is actually going to drive the passion and initiative within the actual, I suppose, business or own particular groups? I carry with something with me a second, so I carry with me everywhere I go. But the funny thing is that it's something that I will never realistically physically use in my life, and that's a mirror. I carry a mirror with me my bag everywhere i go is a fundamental tool for me Raise my i carry a mirror with me purely because the great thing about a mirror is that when you walk into the bathroom in the morning and you give it a grimace it gives one back when you walk into the bathroom in the morning and you give it a smile it gives one back what you put in is exactly what you get back as it is with my fellow i suppose competitors as in maybe from a chocolate perspective or other athletes around the world I need to recognise what they're putting in and what I'm putting in to make sure that my ingredients, the taste, the quality of my chocolate is far as greater than obviously my fellow competitors. I'm working with my stakeholders to ensure that the supply and resources is also consistent there as well and making sure that obviously the quality is there. For me as I suppose as an individual working within the business environments is making sure that we capture and make sure that our customers not just obviously working, walking in a buying quality of product, but also is about the experience as well. Make sure we tell the story behind the design as well as the I suppose taste of the chocolates. It isn't something that's pushed out by a machine. The story is how it's handmade, where the various greens come from. For example, our honey comes from local here at Graceville, where it be um, our liqueurs are from Stanthorpe, our is from Budrum, and that's it from the Sunshine Coast making sure we tell the story behind the actual experience for the customer and also if our customers recognize the story that's behind it as do our stakeholders as well because if you share the stories in a design they join you on that journey as well because they will want to make your business grow by not only providing with the best possible quality but the consistency in the resources they provide you as well as i said though there are still some amazing perceptions and we talk about design I suppose the changes in design would be from a um, physical perspective also from a cyber perspective there's always going to be changes in the way we work with our customers our stakeholders but there are still some I suppose unique perceptions out there amongst the community about what can I suppose or can't be achieved. I many years ago was working in uh, 444 Queen Street in the Brisbane city and I had a rather large box under my arm and my, my dog under my left hand. I walked into a lift and sensed that person was in the lift there with me. So I said very calmly, very nicely, "I said, excuse me, would you mind pressing ground close? There's no movement towards the button, so I said it a bit loud. I said, excuse me, would you mind just, just pressing ground? Again, no movement, so I struggled forward with the box under my arm and just as I went to hit the button, this voice came, I said, oh, it's I it for you. So said, sorry madam, I thought you didn't hear me. He said, no, nah, right. I thought you were talking to the dog. So there are a whole range of, I suppose, various perceptions that people have. Perhaps the more interesting uh, experiences when you walk down the road, you often stop by people in the street who tend to assume that because you have a guide dog, either A, you're uh, a veterinarian or B, you're a dog psychologist. I was walking down towards the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane at 8 in the morning, this young girl suddenly said excuse me I said yes she said look I uh, appreciate you can't see I said uh, thank you very much she said look I was uh wonderful to have a, a feel of me and she was a very young attractive model just on her hair bought brand new clothes He was this guy walking past not looking at her so she thought she'd better do something about it so yes every day you come across those whole range of I suppose different experiences and actual opportunities from that, though, I learned, I suppose, about the fears in life. And fundamentally, whether it be from climbing Everest or dancing with the stars or competing as an athlete, whether it be through a triathlon or running or flying planes, we are, developed, we are born with three individual fears in our life. Three. And that's it. Those three fears are fundamental for our success as a human being. Those are, three fears are the fear of falling, the fear of isolation and the fear of noise. Every other fear is learnt. So the fear of falling teaches us to learn how to walk as human beings. Otherwise, when you take on your knees and you stand up, the way you stop yourself falling is by taking that next step. That's what makes us learn how to walk as human beings. The fear of isolation is a fear of bringing obviously communities together, and that fear of isolation makes sure we obviously procreate and become together and develop communities. And the fear of noise obviously is a sense of danger around us, whether it be through storms, fires, whole range of I suppose, different fears from noise that we learn. However, every other fear is learned. Now I can thank my parents at a very early age who early age who didn't say, hey, listen, Jared, you're totally blind. Don't go out there and ride a bike or don't go out there and bowl and cricket ball. Always get out there, give it a go, and let's see how far you actually get. However, many parents, as their child walks into the kitchen will say, hey listen, don't touch the hot plate you might burn yourself, that fear of heat is then learnt. When mum says, don't touch the knives, you might cut yourself, that fear of knives is then learnt. We learn the fear of success, the fear of failure. All those things of failure and fear and success are learnt at a very early age. And thus we develop and grow upon those particular fears throughout our life. It's about knowing that if we have those three fears, those three fundamental fears, we can change and grow upon those learned fears from a very early age. For me, obviously, and I suppose the opportunities I've had, always has been about overcoming those learned fears. I could very easily say, hey, listen, my government's going to run me into a parked car or a tree or a post. That's overcoming that learned fear. And For me, as a person with a physical disability, it's about teaching those young kids coming through who are blind or have low vision or any other particular disability about the opportunities they can pursue, even if it's not necessarily a paralytic sport. And pursuit, obviously, any sort of recreational activity or business or I suppose, desire that they have to achieve, a goal they have to achieve throughout their life, as it is amongst the people around me as well. If you have any questions, uh, I might hand back to Stephen now. If you have any questions, you'd like to ask, uh, as both from a or maybe from a uh,
0: chocolatier perspective or a business perspective. Jared, thank you so much. That's, um, that's a wonderful collection of stories, yeah. I have to say. Wonderful. I have uh, a, uh, one question has come through so far, which I, I will ask. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're up for it. So uh, this comes from Sakib who asks, what would be your one must-have advice for a large team for them to have a growth mindset? Okay.
1: Uh, I think uh, from the way we communicate as a team is, is fundamental. And often I get asked by people who say, hey, listen, um, what colour do you see as a blind person? I see nothing else. So people assume that you see black. You must first you first to see black, you must first see white. So being told to blind is the absence of life. So for example, and this is very hard for people who are so to understand is that, for example, if I put my team hands up now, there's nothing in between. It's not black, it's not white, there's nothing at all. However, if I said to you, how would you describe the color red? Some people might say, hey, listen, um, red is hot. Some people might say red is angry. They might say red is love. I might say, for example, blue is cool. I might say it's relaxing. I might say white is freezing or fluffy or pure. One thing that is really fundamental in a team is that we could be looking at documents, an instruction, a goal, and we all see the colour red, and we're seeing this red goal, and you're seeing it as love, and I'm seeing it as hot or as angry. We all can see that colour in a very, very different light. So it's fundamentally important in how we communicate the goal that all will take on the particular feeling, the experience with the actual goal. Otherwise, we're all going to be looking at wildest, purest, as innocence, and see it in a very different role. Also, how we, I suppose, see and how we communicate that is, and as I said earlier, in the frequency we communicate to our team. We can look at Obviously, the, the regularity of the actual meetings, but it may not be about the regularity of the actual meeting, it's how we and what we communicate in that particular meeting, which is important as well. So, if I'm, I suppose, providing that window of attitude of actually making sure that we recognize the, the facts of life that come along that particular journey and are becoming those individual fears, but also looking at how we can sustain that growth in other ways. What are the options that we can make sure that our team? For example, we're gonna have people who call in sick. We have people who need to take some personal leave or annual leave or times of the year when resources, whether it be physical or financial, aren't available. Okay, what are the options that we can grow? What are the opportunities we can take on? Is it time that we can perhaps put into place some of our processes? Are there ways that we actually bring in other products? For example, in my chocolate first aid business, apart from just selling Obviously, the individual chocolates. For COVID, I brought in a chocolate first aid kit. Cures everything. Cures COVID, cures the coronavirus. It's fantastic, as in, a bit of play and fun. We have, for example, inside the chocolate first aid kits, um, uh, pineapple nuts And that may be because you're feeling a bit rough around the edges. Um, There's a whole range of different sort of humour that goes with the chocolate first aid kit. So it's bringing in those various options, so those be the online experience, the story that we can tell and making sure within our team, as I said earlier, is the red that we're seeing, we're all seeing it as hot or as love, or as angry. We're all experiencing it and communicating it in the
0: same way. That's great. Thank you for that. I have another question through from Josh, and I'll, I'll, I'll read this out verbatim. Um, uh, Jared, you are a truly inspirational. You are truly inspirational, and this has been brilliant. What is the most memorable experience you've had and why? And if you were to give one piece of advice to companies who are designing for disabilities, what would that be?
1: My, I suppose, uh, experiences as an athlete, um, it's funny is that whilst climbing Everest was a major achievement, I think for me, even just committing on dancing in the stars, as whilst there may be a reality show, it was overcoming my own personal challenges. I've never seen something I've never experienced. And in part series three, I had to um, do 20 seconds of individual dancing on Dancing with the Stars. Now, 20 seconds may not seem like a long time individually, but for a person who's taken blind, I had no idea if I was facing the right way, where the cameras were, whether I was actually even doing the dance correctly. So I was really jumping in to the whole realm of obviously making sure that I could overcome, perhaps, a learned fear of actually embarrassing myself on live television. But outside of obviously the chance to represent my country, perhaps even one of the more interesting moments for me was the 1996 Atlanta Paralympic Games. And this goes back to, I suppose, my earlier comments of the story. I took into the opening ceremony and I knew it wasn't being broadcast back to Australia. I'd have the old mobile brick phone, uh, SAT phone, and I walked into the opening ceremony of the 1996 Atlanta Parallel so I had the mobile phone there with me. And I had a friend who worked on ABC Radio. She rang me up. I did some live commentary for almost an hour of the opening ceremony in the 1996 Atlanta Paralympic Games. The funny thing was that no one person called up ABC and said, How the hell is a blind person describing an opening ceremony? Now, sure, <laughs> I had someone person I left person my ear describing some of the outfits to me. But what people were taking back were, were they enjoying the story. They were enjoying the actual experience of what an athlete was feeling as they were walking. In actual fact, it's a lie. You don't walk into an opening ceremony. In actual fact, got, you're picked up by their sheer splendour of the entire crowd in float that entire lap bus. Whilst walking yeah. around, obviously it was the feeling that I felt obviously walking into the opening ceremony. For any team that's looking to take into inclusion or design for people with a disability, I think it's, it's looking forward to making sure that we incorporate the design earlier. I see a lot of mistakes and errors made where people will design something, then think, oh, how can we make it accessible? Because for example, right now, 20% of all websites are inaccessible, only 20%. So we're missing out, and many, many years ago, Grant Bowie from Treasury Casino got me into his casino and said, listen, Jared, I'm missing out on 20% of the population who can come and enjoy experience at the casino. I went in there and and did an audit of the casino. I had people playing, for example, went to Blackjack Table. I had the the here playing the actual card game for me. Oh, sorry, lost, Jared. So there was no inclusion, no accessibility, it's a whole range of things that came out of that experience. But for me, it's making sure that when we design something, we take our entire customer base, not excluding it because you think, oh, they can't do it. You know, I send emails off to my guides, there's a, a scoop on, I send like there's a Belmont shooting experience. I see, I think I'm crazy. I'll do it. You know, it's 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 about inclusion because you don't don't deny your customer base, don't design the customer experience about a niche market, make sure that that customer base has the opportunity to participate.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, Jared.